Well, good morning, Third Street. Good morning, Third Street. Okay, y'all, y'all just, you know, not that, not, that, not that it's a comparison game, but I am just competitive enough to acknowledge that you gave Jada a better good morning than you gave me. So I needed, I needed to run that back one time because that was like crazy week, and I'm upset. My feelings are already hurt, and we haven't even started. Um, if you do not know me, uh, my name is Corey. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here at Third Street Community Church, and this morning it is my distinct honor and my privilege to bring forth the word of God to you all on such a beautiful occasion such as this. And on this said beautiful occasion, we get to continue on in a series that we've been in since the top of the year, which is a series that we're calling For Freedom's Sake. Church, if you're with me this morning, can you say, For Freedom's Sake? Church, if you're still with me this morning and you're promised to stay with me all the way to Baptism Sunday, say, For Freedom's Sake. That's what's up. It's been a great series that talks about the fact that Scripture and Jesus' life uh, reveals to us consistently that we were all called to freedom for freedom's sake. We were called to freedom not just for our own selves to run free. We were called to freedom not just because God chooses a few of us. We were called to freedom for freedom's sake. As we said at the conclusion of last week, we want to live with this posture that, that free people free people. Amen? And so as we move even further through this series, I mean move even further through this idea of being set free from the chains that are on our hearts, the chains that are on our lives, the chains that are on our neighborhoods, the chains that still exist in this world. I want us to take with great weight and very seriously this morning the mandate that is on our lives. It is scripture that also tells us of this mandate. I want us to turn this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. If you know where you can find your New Testament uh, in the Scripture this morning, it's the very first book, so you're already there, right? It's the first book of the New Testament. We're going to go to the 23rd chapter. That's indicated by the big number 23 in your text, and we are going to start at verse 1. For those of you who do not have a physical Bible with you, that is okay. Feel no need to continue fighting this morning the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, and anything else I'm too old to even know about anymore. We have it right up here on the screen for you. This is Matthew chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to drop down to where I think Jesus makes a pretty poignant point. Amen? So Matthew chapter 23, the gospel of Matthew reveals it to us this way, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to, to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. See, they, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. And now drop down to verse 23 because Jesus goes on and on and on and it's all really good and I'll get to it at some point. But for the, our purposes today, what I really want to get to is right here in verse 23 where Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Oh, they must have been there too. How bold of Jesus. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He goes a step further. Y'all ever heard this word in the church? Hypocrites! 
You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting others. Mm. It really comes down to perspective. It really comes down to perspective because perspective is a thing where when we lose it, we can hyper fixate on specific details or, or outcomes that do not outweigh the bigger picture. And yet with our time and attention, somehow they do. You know what I'm saying? No? Want me to be more specific? Okay. Because this is something that I've been observing a lot of since my life has led me to being on the bleacher side of youth sports. Ah, a few parents now caught wind of where I'm going. I've observed a lot of lacking or losing perspective lately. I've observed that we get so focused sometimes on what these players ought to do or ought not to do, that sometimes in the heat of the game, we forget that these players are children. Yeah, you can chuckle, because you're lying if you say it ain't never been you. We, we get so upset at a ref who gets in the way of the specific outcome that we're fixated on, that we forget that that official is somebody's child. That official is somebody's spouse. That official is somebody's sibling. Where is this coming from? No, I wasn't at KT's game on Friday. That's not where this is coming from, right? It's also true in parenting. We get... We get so focused on disciplines and behaviors that we want to see our children exhibit that sometimes when we get hyper-focused and, they're, and they're, not, they're not obeying the way that we wanted to, we lose sight of the fact that they are not, in fact, little monsters. We can see it. We can see it in traffic. Y'all thought because you didn't have kids you were exempt, but I know how you drive. Right. We get so focused on where we're going at the right and the rate of speed at which we need to get there that we forget that that driver in front of us is human, too. Yeah, now we're getting closer to home. We see it in our culture. We get so caught up in our scrolling and our reading and our excitement over celebrity or political drama that we forget that the person that we're posting about has a real pulse too. It's about perspective. And when we lose it, when we lose sight of the bigger picture, I mean, when we fixate on what's in front of our face, we consequently run this tendency of dehumanizing the people who were created in the image of God. We throw people into categories. Ah, they're doing that because they're, they're all lazy, right? Or they're out here just being, just being reckless. Or that's just, that's just criminals for you, right? These, 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 these morons or these robots. 
while there are still others in our world that take those categories to the extreme. And they say these people are just tools. People are tools for our pleasure. People are tools for our labor. Ah, but see, what we got to call out this morning and what we cannot move on in this series without acknowledging is that these thoughts and these tendencies fly directly in the face of what God's intent really is, that flies in the face of the heart of God, if you will, the heart of God to reach, to save, to free every image bearer. It flies in the face of our mandate that we see in Micah 6, 8, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly. This morning, what Jesus, we read Jesus calling out in the Pharisees is their lack and their loss of perspective. See, Jesus even begins this passage by acknowledging their authority. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees, these people that you see out here with the robes in the crowd, they sit in the chair of, of Moses. They're, they're, he's calling the Hebrew people back to their ancestry, back to ancient authority that now these Pharisees have taken up. He's saying they are leaders of our people, or at least they're supposed to be, right? Because what did Moses do? Moses was the one that God called through, through burning shrubbery and said, Moses, I know that you have a speech impediment. I know that you disqualified yourself in a lot of ways. I know that you don't feel a part of any social group. I know that you have experienced your own escape. I know that you have run far away from the land where my divine intervention has placed you. I know all these things, but Moses, I intend to use you. Moses, I, I, I intend to use you to lead people, to lead people to their freedom. And that's exactly what Moses did. He freed them from, from slavery in Egypt and he took them into the wilderness where Moses would go up on a mountain and he would receive the law from God and he would rule and, and, he, would, and he would talk about the law and he would enforce the law on behalf of God. But ultimately what he was doing was he was leading them closer to the promises of God. He's, Jesus is saying that seat, that seat right there, the seat of leadership that leads people to freedom, the seat of leadership that that, that, that leads people closer to my promises, to the promised land, to, to, to eternity. That's the seat that these Pharisees have. And that's, that's, that's pretty weighty, right? But his issue, his issue is not with the position that they've been given. Jesus' issue is what they're doing with their influence. See, He's saying that, that, that what Moses did was free people from slaves. Jesus would in other spaces say, what I've come is to make your burden light. I've come to release you from your heavy loads. But what you're doing, Pharisees and scribes, what you're doing is you're weighing people down. You're slapping rules and sanctions and regulations on people. You're calling people out for not living up to a standard that not none of us could possibly live up to. And you're telling them that they're not Jewish enough, that they're not cultural enough, that they're not, they're not godly enough. Because they can't live up to these sanctions and these standards that you yourself are not upholding. Now, before we get out here and all the way put down 
the Pharisees for what they're doing. A little bit of historical context will help us understand why they're doing it this way. See, once upon a time, as you read through the Old Testament, once the Lord freed his Hebrew people from slavery, what they did, the scripture tells us is what? They did, it says, whatever was right in their own eyes. Meaning they didn't take any structure seriously. They didn't take any correction, any challenge seriously. Everyone was free to do whatever the heck they wanted. And where did that land Israel? Back in slavery. And then once again, in exile, in scatteredness, in slavery again, God had to free them again. And so the Pharisees come in and they're like, hey, look. No rules, everybody doing what's right in their own heart, what's right in their own eyes. That got us put back in slavery. I don't know about you, but Roman oppression is bad enough and I ain't trying to go back to even further slavery. So we will be here to swing this pendulum from total to, to total loose, nobody does anything that matters at all, all the way over here to legalism, to bureaucracy, to total control. They're, they're so fixed on what people need to do in order to avoid what they're afraid of, that what the Pharisees are actually trying to do is control them. But ironically, what does that sound like? Sounds like slavery, doesn't it? Ironically, their total control, their bureaucracy, if you will, their legalism out of fear of being enslaved has ironically enslaved them all over again. And this upsets Jesus because he sees the position that they have been given and he sees how they're using it. They're using it for control over people as opposed to what the, his original intentions for Moses was, which is the leadership of people. Which brings me to my first point. Are we leading people in our lives or are we trying to control them? Are we using our influence in other people's lives, in the spaces that God has us in for leadership or are we using it for control? See, this is what happens when we lose sight of this kingdom view. When we lose sight of how God intends us to use our influence, how he intends us to use our influences to lead people out of their chains. Sometimes they're physical, and I'll get to that, but, but also metaphorical, existentially, right? The chains on our minds, the chains on our hearts, the, 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 thing, the sins that we are enslaved to. What Jesus intends for us to do, how God has designed his church, is to use its influence to set people free not to weigh them down, not to be legalistic, not to put restrictions and boundaries in place so that we can guarantee a specific outcome. Good for you. You've, you've said that you want to follow Jesus today. Praise God. Now, let me give you the rule book so we can control 
what your salvation looks like. Or, or we, we do what the Pharisees did and we call people out for not living up to some expectation that, huh, let's just keep it a buck between me and you. You not living up to either. And we expect people to continue to, to seek the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that you say brings more weight, a heavier load. We do it in sports. We do it in parenting. We do it in work. We do it. We do it in culture. We try to do the things for other people to put guidelines in place so that we can control the outcome. As a father, I run this risk all the time. I try to put things in place and have my kids participate in certain things in certain ways so that I can control their outcome. Right? In sports, we do it all the time. In culture, we do it all the time. But church, because I, because I need to, to, to move somewhat quickly so we can celebrate, let me, just, let me just submit it to you this way and we'll get even more practical next week, right? Let me just submit it to you this way. The world does not need another person or another entity trying to control its people and resources. We are not hurting, trust me, <laughs> met with some this week. We are not hurting for people trying to control the world's people or its resources. We're not hurting for those. And that's not what the world needs. What the world needs from the church is leadership. What the world needs from the church is for us to level up our influence. See, the crazy thing about about a diverse gathering like this is that I'm willing to bet if we took the time, there's not really a sector of our Canton society that, that we don't touch. Y'all realize that? Like, like, like I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing, I'm seeing medical professionals. I'm seeing engineers. I'm seeing, I'm seeing cash registers, right? I'm seeing, I'm seeing finance people, right? I'm seeing, I'm seeing people who are, who are counselors. Like I'm looking out here, I'm seeing teachers, right? I'm looking out here and I'm seeing whole parents of whole big families, right? I'm looking out here and I'm, and, and I'm seeing a, a body of people that, uh, that touches collectively every sector of society. What the world does not need from us is for us to go to these places to slap our own constraints on it. They have enough regulations to deal with. What the world needs from us is to be intentional about our influence in those spaces and for us to level up our leadership of people to set them free. Are we leading people in our lives or are we trying to control them? It's about perspective. And Jesus says in verse 23, he even throws him another bone. He's like, I said, first he says, I see your authority. Now he's like, hey, I see your religious duties. I see you fulfilling them. I see your tithes, right? Oh, a few of you just sat up straight. I ain't talking about your tithes. We're talking about their tithes. You want to talk about your tithes? No, okay, listen. He says, I see your tithes. I see your religious deeds. You're, you're following this law that says, give a tenth of this, a tenth of this, a tenth of this. You're doing it. Good job. Wonderful. Wonderful for you. Jesus says, here's, let me, let me make it plain to you why I don't care about how consistently you're tithing. It's because you have forgotten the more important matters of the law. You have forgotten the bigger picture, the bigger picture that, that, that says, Justice, 
mercy, and faithfulness. So go ahead and tithe. But when you hold the people at your job in chains, your tithe is worthless. So go ahead. Keep on volunteering. Keep on giving of your extra time. But when you ignore the cries in our community for justice, your volunteerism is worthless. Jesus says, I see you doing these religious acts, but if you have neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness, that what you have neglected is heart transformation. You have given yourself over. You have given your religious duties over to the Lord, but you have held on to your heart. If you are truly God's, Jesus says, to be clear, I'm not asking you to stop tithing. Jesus says, if you were true, if you truly belong to the Lord's, you would do both. You would do these religious acts. You'd exchange your tithe dollars for religious thoughts. And you would not be able to ignore your neighbor who's crying for justice. You would not be able to ignore your neighbor who's desperate for mercy. You would not be able to ignore your neighbor who has never known the faithfulness of a father that is so freely extended to you. You wouldn't be able to ignore it. You wouldn't be able to get it out of your head. So I need us to just make sure this morning I know I'm scaring a lot of visitors right now. But I need us to just make sure this morning that as, this, as it pertains to this church, as it pertains to this body of believers, as it pertains to our Third Street community, that we are a church that is not just performing religious duties, but, but our hearts are being tra genuinely transformed to look more like God's. That's what we really want. I've upset a whole lot of people. Some of you have stuck it out in this room, but I've upset a whole lot of people when, with, with this question, right? People come to me all the time while well, I'm tithing, I'm volunteering, I'm attending. I still feel some type of way. What more can I do? What more do you want? I remember another uh, young leader who once asked, what more can I do? And so whenever I get these uh, uh, inquisitions, if you will, sometimes feel like interrogations, but we'll call them inquisitions. Whenever I get these inquiries, I am quick to say, well, how are you becoming more like Jesus? Right. I see you doing all these things. You're giving all these things. You're trying all these things. You're saying all these things. You're showing up to all these things. But are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are you caught up in going through the motions so that you can control your own outcome? See, if your heart is truly transformed, then you will do these things and you will not be able to skip over your neighbor. When we lose this perspective, what, 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 and, and, and I know some of you are like, are like, man, you're just putting the emphasis, emphasis on, on this one particular thing. No, I'm not. Jesus did, right? When we, lose what, when we lose sight of what Jesus calls the bigger things, when we lose sight of what Jesus has said is the more important things, those more important things being justice, mercy, faithfulness, when we lose sight of those things, what we have a tendency to do is to just continue to go through these motions. But once again, we withhold our heart from the activity. 
And so these religious duties become cold. They become unsatisfactory. And at some point, you will rightfully wonder out loud probably, why am I even doing this? What is the point of all of this? Church, if you're not giving the Lord your heart, there isn't one. The Lord multiplies the tithes of those who give with their heart. The Lord multiplies the impact and the effort of those who give the Lord their heart. That's what Jesus is after. And and we'll know, Jesus tells us, we'll know we have the right perspective. How do I know, Pastor? We'll know because we won't be able to overlook justice, mercy, or faithfulness. Isn't it crazy how you cannot separate the gospel from those things? And yet we so try so badly all the time. We'll know we have the right perspective. We'll know we're really being transformed when we see and experience the things that break Jesus' heart and it breaks ours too. Scripture is explicit about the things that Jesus said he came to this earth to do. Scripture is explicit about the things that made Jesus weep. Scripture is explicit about the things that Jesus was fearful of. Scripture is explicit about what Jesus cares about that we give our time and attention to. And when our hearts start to break for those same things that break our Lord's, that's when we know we have the right perspective. When we just can't get this holy discontent out of our minds. When we go home at night and we try really hard to sleep, but every time you close your eyes, you see that face or you see that situation when nobody else is around and you don't know what to do. And so you call on the Lord to prayer and it brings tears to your eyes because you just can't escape the injustice that's in this world. When it brings, when it brings movement into your heart and into your body because you just can't escape the fact that people are crying out for mercy and that people don't know the faithfulness of our, the faithfulness of our Lord. When, when, when you cannot get those things out of your mind, that's when you have the right perspective. If you can go home, And you can refocus yourself on all the rest of the stuff that you have to do Monday through Friday without giving second thought to the things that break the heart of Jesus. That's how how we know you have unhealthily compartmentalized your life and there are people you can see for that. Let me tell you about something that I can't get out of my mind. A lot of you know a couple months ago, I, I flew to Asia. I was in Thailand for a bit, and then I was in Cambodia. I went over there uh, at an invitation to be alongside some of the teams uh, that, that are in country as a part of this organization called A21. If you don't know about A21, A21 is an anti, uh, anti-human trafficking organization that attempts to abolish slavery all over the world. I had no clue why I was going there. I had no clue why I was invited. Part of me still doesn't. (laughs) If you all only knew how funny that really was. And when I was there, I learned a lot. What I realized about myself, though, and this is where I want to focus my next minute or two, what I realized about myself is that I had become so focused at home on the societal consequences of our country's history with slavery 
that admittedly I forgot or ignored or lost sight of the fact that there are still approximately 50 million people in the world that are enslaved. I know in America, like we forget about that because we're dealing with all the with all the systemic issues of, of the civil of, of a post-civil rights society now. We're dealing with all the with with all the institutionalized issues and, and we get caught up. And I want to be clear, uh, my heart has not softened on those things, okay? But I had lost sight of the fact that that's a battle who, if I can maybe run the risk of getting in trouble a little bit, that's a battle we get to fight while there are still over 50 million people in our world that are actively in literal chains. I learned about that. I also learned that there's all different types of modern day slavery. People have gotten more creative and more business savvy than just throwing people on a boat. And so what I learned is that it's not just, it's not just forced labor. It is forced labor. But it's, it's camps, it's institutions, it's whole businesses, it's tourism that's built on the slave trade. There are whole countries that you can go to with the entire point of going tourist-wise to these places is to participate in these acts of slavery. I learned about these things and realized how narrowed in, how zeroed in I really got on 1253 3rd Street Southeast. I realized that I lost sight of the bigger perspective that the Lord wants to use things like this to impact slavery all around the world. I lost sight of that. I didn't realize that because we're dealing with now the, the positive and negative consequences of some of our chains falling, that there are brothers and sisters who need to hear this message of liberation still. And I didn't want to lose sight of that. And I learned all this stuff. And so I asked for the Lord to let it take heart. And oh my goodness. He took me to a room where I learned those things. And then let me tell you what he took me to see. That's what I learned. That's what I heard. Let me tell you what I saw. I'm going to be careful because I'm looking around at some of the ages that's in the room, and I want to be appropriate when I say some of these things. So just use your imagination. But what I saw were whole streets where women wore numbers on their chest. And men would shove menus in your face and let you order people like a combo meal. What I saw were children, the same age as mine, who were forced to serve in the restaurants and bars where these activities are taking place. What I saw that disturbed me even more was a whole lot of people that looked like you and me that were there to consume it, that were there to purchase it, that were there to participate in it. What I saw was educated people, like a lot of you guys, educated people who were deceived for the promise of a job, that when they got there after their several interviews, 
thinking they got a new job and a new location to start a new life for their family that's still back in poverty. They had worked so hard to get their bachelor's degree and their master's degree to get a job like this, only to find out that when they arrived, they would be living and working in a forced labor camp that are scam centers. I saw educated men and women that were forced to send us phone calls and emails to try to get our bank records. You think, <laughs> yeah. And I ain't gonna lie to you, I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. Don't worry, I have appointments on my calendar to make sure I process these things. I appreciate you for looking out for me. But I have not been able to sleep a whole night straight through since seeing it. There's no way I can unsee it. There's no way I can get this out of my mind. Because what I know definitively, because it's true of the heart that's in my chest, is that this shatters the heart of God. This breaks every level of his intention for the Imago Day. Never did God intend for his creation to experience these things, and yet here we are, trying to control. So I looked at a guy that was on the trip with me who works at A21. I said, what do we do, man? What do we do? What's the goal here? And he looks at me with a straight face, and he said a phrase that, hey, look, it's the vision statement on their website. You can go read it too. But when he said it to me, looking into my eyes, I felt it with my entire existence. He said, what we're going to do is abolish slavery everywhere forever. And I had a positive emotional response that I won't repeat to you all, but just know that I said, I'm in. I can't not be. Here's what I'm trying to say. We have to be the church. We have to be the church that keeps in mind the kingdom picture. We have to be the people that doesn't get so caught up in the bureaucracy of our city, that gets so caught up in the legalism of religion, that gets so, that gets so caught up in all of these minute things that we completely lose sight of what the Lord says is more important, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. We have to be the people, we have to be the church that keeps perspective, that even when going through the motions is hard, that even when life gets really freaking difficult, and I don't know if you know this, but if it hasn't yet, it's gonna. We don't pull back our heart from the Lord's hands, but we allow him to continue to transform us and mold us. We have to be the church that fights not for control, but decides that in every place that we exist in society, we are going to lead. We are going to level up our influence. Somebody in here is looking at me like, well, pastor, I'm not a leader. That's a lie from the pit of hell and it's got to go. You have been given influence. You've been given influence over yourself, first of all. You've been given influence over your family. You've been given influence over your team that you work on and that you lead. You've been given influence in your organization at the grocery store you shop at and in your neighborhood. Don't tell me you can't lead. I'm telling you to level up your influence. We've got to be the church that, lead, that fights to lead instead of fighting to control. We've got to be the church 
that uses the good news of what's happening in our lives and in our community to set people free, not only that are next door to us, but that are all around the world. That is the perspective we have to keep in mind. So as we continue to wonder, why am I doing this? Why am I tithing? As we continue to wonder, why am I going to huddle? Why am I still having these Bible conversations with people? As we continue to wonder, why am I setting up these screens that are falling apart only for us to figure out how to tear them down and set them up again crooked next week? Why am I filling this cattle trough that was meant for pigs and cows for the Lord to do something with? Why am I doing these things? Because, because the Lord intends to use the things that we're doing to free the world. The hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his vehicle to get them to freedom is his people. We have to be the people who set people free. And I mean that about the people that you live with all the way to the people that I may never see again in Asia. We have to be the people that set people free. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your son showing us the way, leading with compassion and empathy. We thank you, Lord, that through the presence of your Holy Spirit, we can maintain perspective. Lord, we pray today for perspective. God, we pray that you would keep at the forefront of our minds the commands that you have deemed most important. Love God first. Love people second. We pray that you would keep at the forefront of our minds the laws, the rules, the regulations, the way of living, if you will, that are of the highest concern. Issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Lord, we ask for the endurance when the load seems incredibly heavy. We pray that we would be reminded. Jesus once said, I did not come to weigh you down, rather, Take up my yoke. The load is light. The burden is light. God, we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we've lost perspective, that we've pulled back our hearts to try to take control, that where we've abdicated the chair of Moses. Lord, we ask for the, for the continued strength to take it up, not in our name, but by the name that is so powerful, chains fall at the sound. That is Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we declare. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. All who believe say, bless up.